was in a musical or in a play in high school. Uh, and I remember it because I played five different characters, uh, which you'll, you'll remember that. And, and so I played uh, among them where I, I was a sort of angry businessman in one scene. In another scene, I played a, a playful child at a birthday party. Uh, in another scene, I was sort of an attentive son who, uh, the family who's, of a family whose mother was going through Alzheimer's and kind of dealing with some of that. I mean, it was all over the place. But the, the thing that was so unique about this play is that not only me, but, but all of the actors played many different characters. And it was very unique because in this play, it was not strung together like a typical play or a typical story where you follow the same characters throughout the entire place in different settings and different situations, on and on. Instead, this play had many different characters, but it was all set in the same setting. The name of the play was The Dining Room. The Dining Room. And so the set that we had on stage was just a big dinner table. Uh, and throughout the couple hours of this play, many characters would come and go. Many different experiences would happen. Uh, there were moments of celebration and joy, moments of grief and pain, moments of betrayal and challenge all set around this table. It was an incredible and, and very unique story, a very unique play to be a part of. And to get to play five different characters was fun and, and challenging. But you know, we could easily do the same thing with our lives. We could look through our whole life and just say, what are the moments that I've experienced around tables? What are some memorable meals, right? Do you remember the first time that you sat down at a school lunch table? What was that like? Where'd you sit? Who were you with? Or maybe you remember a, a first date, going out to get coffee or share a meal or something like that. Maybe you can remember a, a moment around your family's dinner table in an evening or, or something like that. A uh, good time with friends. Whatever it may be, right? We could tell much of our life story by simply considering moments we've shared with people around tables. And so, you know, this play did that with a number of characters. We could do that with our own lives. In many ways, Luke... Luke's gospel, Luke does this with the life of Jesus. Uh, there is, you know, all four gospels share stories of Jesus eating meals with other people. But Luke does this much more, almost twice as much as any of the other four, the other three gospels do. There's one scholar who commented that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal at a meal, or coming from a meal. No matter where you are reading in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either headed to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal that he has just had. The very same scholar encourages people to read through the entire Gospel of Luke and jot down every mention of food that you might find in it. And he found at least 60 references of food throughout the Gospel of Luke. Uh, 
right? This is a theme that Luke really highlights. He really points out in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And not only does Luke share more meal stories than the other Gospels, there are also stories that we do read in other Gospels. We'll read them in Matthew or Mark. But Luke tells us that they happened around a table, right? There are times in Matthew where Jesus is teaching something, and Luke will have that very same teaching, that very same conversation, but just mention, oh, by the way, he was at a table with some people. And then he said this, right? Much of Jesus' teaching happened around tables. And then also there are stories that uh, Luke tells us that aren't found in any of the Gospels. Some of Jesus' parables uh, that feature meals that aren't included in the other Gospels. For example, there's the story of the rich man and Lazarus, which is all about sharing food with the neighbors just outside our door. Or the famous parable of the prodigal son, right, which culminates in a great feast. The story is only told in the Gospel of Luke, and it re-emphasizes Luke's theme of gathering around tables. And even just a couple of weeks ago, right, we read from the Gospel of Luke the Christmas story, right, the story of Jesus' birth, and it is Luke who emphasizes that as a newborn, Jesus was laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. So even in Jesus' birth, we find him at an unexpected table of sorts. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, it is at the table where Jesus welcomes outcasts. It's at the table that Jesus challenges arrogant people. It's at the table that Jesus cultivates friendships. So over the next couple of months, we will be continuing through the Gospel of Luke together and reflecting on some of these table scenes, some of these meal stories from Jesus' ministry. And so we'll begin today with the very first one that we read in Luke chapter 5. So let's read beginning in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we thank you that you are a God who walks among us and invites us to sit at tables with you and joins us at the tables where we are. 
God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're just going to walk through this passage together and just see what exactly unfolds throughout this first table story in the Gospel of Luke. And so right at the beginning, in verses 27 to 28, we are introduced to a man by the name of Levi. And we aren't told very much about him, but we know at least two things. One, he's a tax collector. And two, whenever Jesus says, follow me, Levi gets up and follows, right? Now, what do these two things tell us? What do these two things tell us about him? Well, first, his identity as a tax collector actually does give us quite a bit to go on. Right, so as a tax collector, he would probably be middle or upper middle class. He was a man of means. As a tax collector, he probably was not all that religious, right? From the narrative context, it seems pretty clear that he is Jewish, but a devout Jew would never even consider becoming a tax collector, uh, which, which tells us something else about Levi, right? That, that he was kind of an outcast. Jewish people despised the tax collectors, and so by being one, he was a bit of an outcast. See, the Jewish people hated tax collectors, not just because of the obvious reason that, well, they charged taxes, right? I mean, the same way that we might loathe the IRS and that tax season that will be upon us in just a month or two, right? It's not just that, that they dislike. Uh, and, and it's not even just because in that day and age, tax collectors notoriously cheated people by charging them a little bit more and keeping it for themselves, which is probably how they were middle or upper middle class. Um, but, but it was also because by working as a tax collector, they were an employee of Rome. They were an employee of the empire. And so by being a tax collector, you were betraying your people. You were working for the enemy, right? Uh, the, the Jewish people, most of them held a hope that one day they would be free from Roman rule. But the tax collectors were people who participated in that Roman rule, helped to enforce it, and benefited from it. And so it was a betrayal. Tax collectors were cheats, and they were traitors. And they didn't really fit anywhere, right? They weren't Jewish enough to be accepted by the, the Jewish people, and they, of course, weren't Roman enough to be accepted by Romans. So for Levi, his primary social circle was probably other tax collectors, right? His work friends the people that he knew through work. And outside of work, Levi probably didn't have very much community. Probably was kind of an outcast, kind of a lonely soul. So what all do we know about this Levi? Well, he is a you know, non-religious or you know, vaguely religious working man with a comfortable life, but also a bit of an 
lonely life outside of work, not sure where he fits in. Now, that kind of sounds like a lot of people today. Not terribly religious, have a job, don't really know where I fit outside of my job, right? That sounds like quite a few people. Do you know anyone who might fit into some of this description? Do you resonate with any of this description, perhaps? I mean, for all intents and purposes, Levi was living a very comfortable life. If we plucked Levi out of the ancient Middle East and placed him in contemporary America, we'd probably consider him to be pretty successful. He has a steady job that pays well, and if he stays at that job, he very well might be able to climb the ladder to go from being a tax collector to a chief tax collector, who's overseeing other tax collectors. Right? This, he, he's comfortable. He's fairly successful. But then the narrative takes a turn at the end of verse 27. Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And then verse 28 says, And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, this might tell us a little bit more about Levi, right? That that inner ache of loneliness and, and longing was actually enough for him to risk getting up and following this Jesus person. But I think it also tells us a good bit about Jesus, the kind of person that Jesus was, right? That Jesus was actually someone worth following. Jesus was the kind of person who people wanted to be with. This isn't the first thing that Jesus has done in Luke's story. right? Notice at verse 27 where we began, it starts with the words, after this, right? Well, after what? Well, after all the other things that Jesus had already started doing, right? In chapter 4, Jesus had already been teaching and healing and visiting people in their homes. In chapter 5, Jesus calls his first disciples, a bunch of fishermen that, that he uh, invites to follow him. He heals a man with leprosy by touching him. That's strange and scandalous. And then he forgives the sins of a paralyzed man and heals him. He says, get up and walk. Jesus has been doing all kinds of things already. People had heard about him. Word was traveling fast. See, a lot of times we get this idea as we read scripture that all of these stories in the gospels are kind of stoic and flat. They don't have any context. There's no backstory to anything. But, but there's always so much going on behind the scenes. There's always so much going on. I mean, surely Levi had heard of this Jesus guy who was doing some scandalous stuff, making a bit of a, a splash, so to speak. And perhaps he was even intrigued by this Jesus guy. I mean, Levi is not all that religious, but there's something about Jesus it seems different. And that's the thing. 
It's not just that Jesus is doing really cool and impressive things, teachings and, and healings and so on, but it's who Jesus is. The kind of person that Jesus was that really stands out. I mean, this is surely what drew Levi to him. Jesus was the kind of person that people wanted to be with, not just a wise teacher to learn from or some kind of miracle worker to go get something from, but the kind of person that you might even invite over for a meal, which is exactly what happens, right? In verse 29, it says, Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now here we see a little bit more of Levi's life. He, he, we can see the sort of upper middle class lifestyle. He has the means to host a great banquet, right? not only to provide the food, but to actually host it at his house. We also see his social life. The people he invites to his banquet are other tax collectors. Right? That's his social circle. He invites his work friends over because those are the only people he knows. And then, of course, he invites Jesus. And it's likely that the disciples, which Jesus had already called, came along as well, and maybe a handful of others. It says tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now, I want to reiterate this, that, that Jesus has gone to eat at his house. This is something we often kind of gloss over, but it's huge. Levi invited Jesus over for a meal in his house with his community. And then Jesus says, yeah, I'll come. Yeah, let's do that. You see, Jesus longs to be with people in their life, where they are. A lot of times we've been told that Christianity is about getting out of our life, right? Getting out of whatever the things that we're already doing and getting in to church or Bible study or this and that, whatever kind of religious thing you want to do, right? That's what Christianity is all about. But what we see here is really the opposite. The gospel is less about getting out of stuff and far more about Jesus coming in to our stuff. Jesus coming in to our life. What would it look like for us to, in the midst of our everyday life, be mindful of Jesus with us? For Jesus to actually be with us in all the things that we're doing. What would it like to be mindful of Jesus' presence while you're at work, or at school, or making dinner, or doing laundry, or watching TV? What would it be like to be aware of Jesus' presence as you hang out with family or friends? Now, at times, following Jesus does mean that there are some things that we need to leave behind and walk away from. Sinful actions, destructive patterns, living in the way of hatred and evil. But what we see here 
is that the gospel is not primarily about not doing things, but about doing things with Jesus. Doing things with Jesus. Now, as we reflect on this passage, we don't only see ourselves in Levi's shoes, right? Being called to let Jesus into our lives. But I think we can also look at this passage and see Jesus as an example of how we are to live with others. Because on the one hand, Jesus does say to Levi, come and follow me. And, and we should certainly follow this example by extending hospitality to other people, by inviting them into our lives, into our homes, even more inviting them to come and follow Jesus with us. But hospitality goes both ways. We shouldn't only invite people into our lives on our terms, but we should also be willing to meet others in their life, on their terms. To only invite people into our lives and never enter into theirs is really a form of control. Go of that control, to let go of that control, and really surrender and say, all right, I don't quite know what I'm getting into, but I'll come along with you, right? Jesus does this. Jesus doesn't only say to Levi, come follow me, but when Levi says, hey, I'm throwing a party, come over, Jesus says, all right, I'll be there. And that's what gets Jesus in trouble. In verse 30, the Pharisees complain, and they ask, hey, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. See, Jesus is not getting in trouble for calling Levi to follow him, right? If anything, that's exactly what Jesus should be doing. Get that tax collector out of his tax booth, right? Get him to stop doing that. Jesus gets in trouble for following Levi into Levi's house with other tax collectors. That's where Jesus gets in trouble. He sits down at a table with people who he's not supposed to sit down at a table with, at least according to the Pharisees. You see, this time uh, of, of the, the ancient ages, the, the sort of time and culture that this takes place, meals are incredibly important. And we've already reflected a little bit together this morning that they, they're still very important things for us today. But there is perhaps even a, a deeper significance to meals at that time, in that place. Meals really in all times and cultures in some ways act as boundary markers. The people that you're willing to eat with says a lot, right? The people who you're willing to share a table with. I mean, there's not only the practical piece of, all right, you know, are we all like clean enough to sit around a table together? Are we going to get each other sick or on and on? Like that's, that's a component of that for many cultures. But then there's, there's all kinds of other layers. Meals are boundary markers. And so in that context, table fellowship 
is something that communicates so much. And it, it has done that throughout the ages. Our country knows well that there were times when there were laws preventing certain people from eating in certain places. Or if you think back to those school days, right? It's possible that some of those laws have been changed or gone away, but habits remain the same, right? When you were looking for a spot in the school lunchroom, there are certain places where you were welcome, certain places where maybe you weren't. Certain people who were accepted to sit at certain tables and not at other tables, right? That rush of anxiety on any uh, person going to lunch. Where am I going to sit? Who am I with? There are all kinds of boundaries in our culture. Just this weekend, uh, this past week, Caitlin and I, for the new year, uh, I don't know why, but we've had this kick of watching a bunch of musicals, and we recently watched My Fair Lady. I don't know if you've seen that, but the opening part and most of it is about this idea that, hey, if, if you only spoke differently, you would be welcome in so many more places, but you've got that thick Cockney accent, so you're always going to be on the streets, right? These boundaries exist in our culture, and Sharing meals is one way of saying where our boundaries are and where they are not. In fact, did you know that the word companion uh, comes from, there's come, which means with, and then pan is the root word for bread. A companion is someone you share bread with. To call someone a companion is to say, I'm willing to sit down and eat with you. That's what the word companion comes from. That's what it means. And so even today, who we eat with communicates so much. And Jesus is breaking the rules. He's eating with the wrong people. That's what the Pharisees say. But by eating with them, Jesus is saying something as well. He's saying, this table is bigger than you think it is. There are more people welcome at it than you know. The Pharisees had been trained by the law very much. There are certain things that are allowed and certain things that aren't. And what Jesus is saying, he, he's not saying, hey, let's just do away with the law and break it all. Jesus is saying, hey, that law is fulfilled. I'm actually creating a new table where all are welcome. This is the promise of God's coming kingdom, that all can sit around this table together. And I love this. And so how does Jesus respond to them? Right? They ask, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, in verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This response is incredible. Jesus could have given all kinds of answers. But what he says is this. 
I have come here to heal the world. And how is he healing it? By eating with people. He's healing the world by sitting at a table with people and eating. That's Jesus' mission. There are a number of places throughout the Gospels, whether the Gospel of Luke or others, where it says the Son of Man came, and it, it tells us what he came for, right? How, how would any of us fill in the blank there? Jesus came to blank, right? I'm sure we'd all have a lot of interesting answers to save the world, to forgive sins, to redeem humanity, to bring the kingdom of God, whatever it may be. Uh, There are many different ways uh, throughout the Gospels that this is explained. One of them is the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Right? That's good. That's in the Gospel of Luke. We'll actually read it in a few weeks. That's something Jesus says at around a table. Um, Another place uh, in the Gospels, it says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? Right? That's, that's a powerful answer. But do you know what else we read? In Luke chapter 7, Jesus says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Eating and drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Right? He came to seek and save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And how did he do that? By eating and drinking with people. You see, when we think about the mission of God, we think about all kinds of grand things, right? We think about learning theology, doing all kinds of, of spiritual practices, and hey, I'm all for that, right? I'm, I'm often trying to, to share theology and encourage spiritual practices, but when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom, he doesn't come with a list of, of rules. He doesn't come with a bunch of things that you need to believe this and not that. He comes and says, let's eat together. This is how the world will be remade. I'm coming to heal the world. Let's eat. This is Jesus' mission strategy. And it's not just a nice social thing to do. In that Jewish context, to sit around a table together is far more than just for people to eat together. But Every meal would begin with a blessing, uh, uh, giving thanks to God for this food. And so to sit around a table with people is also to sit with God together. One uh, scholar wrote, In the East, even today, to invite a person to a meal was an honor. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In short, sharing a table meant sharing life. But in Judaism in particular, table fellowship before God, or table fellowship means fellowship before God. For the eating of a piece of broken bread by everyone who shares in a meal brings out the fact that they have all had a share in the blessing that was spoken 
over the unbroken bread. Therefore, Jesus' meals with tax collectors and sinners, too, are not only social events, not only expressions of his unusual humanity or social generosity and sympathy to those who were despised, but these had an even deeper significance. They are an expression of the mission and the message of God. To eat with someone is theology. To eat with someone is a spiritual practice. This is the kingdom of God. For Jesus, uh, this is another scholar wrote, for Jesus, feasting was not just a metaphor about his kingdom. But as Jesus announced the feast of the kingdom, he brought it into reality, into reality through his own feasting. He came feasting in the kingdom. Jesus didn't go around merely talking about eating and drinking. He went around eating and drinking. And so this is what we see, that Jesus welcomes all kinds of people to his table. As he seeks to heal the world, he sits down and shares meals. And so as we come to a close, there are just a few things that I want us to consider. One of them is, is to remember the reality that just like Levi and those tax collectors and the others around that table, we are sinners who Jesus welcomes to the table. We are those in desperate need of healing that Jesus says, come, eat. You are welcome here. But also, we are the body of Christ, and we are called to also welcome others at the table. Who are the ones that you might not want to welcome at the table? Who are the ones that you can invite to your table or go and join them at their table? And that leads me to the final challenge that I want to offer to us over these next couple months as we read through and reflect on these table stories in Luke. And it's simply this. In the next couple of months, I want to challenge you to invite someone over for a meal. Now, I know that we're in the middle of COVID, and so there are certain things. Take precautions. Do what you're comfortable with. But I want to challenge you to invite someone from the church over to share a meal and invite someone not from the church over to share a meal. Try, try to do both of those things in the next couple of months. I'd love to hear the stories that come from that. Or maybe instead of inviting them over, you go and join them where they are, just like Jesus did with Levi. That's my challenge. It's pretty simple, but it's the stuff of the kingdom of God. So as we go from here, may we be a people 
who do all that we do with Jesus, who came eating and drinking. Amen.